Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What you've given up for me? Yes, Beverly. I have given up for you. I sometimes, often, I have given things up for you. I've made concessions for you. Why do people say they give things up for me? Beverly, our whole relationship has been about Elliot. Honestly. I would like for that not to be the case. I would like for things to be different. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm also David Chen. We're twins. Uh, No, I'm Siddhant Adlaka. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, uh, and welcome to This Week in Streaming. Each week on This Week in Streaming, we cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming right here on the Decoding TV podcast feed. We'll tell you if the show is worth watching, and eventually, as in today, we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Dead Ringers, the entire first season, episodes one through six. Uh, We've already seen the entire show. Uh, And next week, we'll be covering the final episodes of Mrs. Davis, uh, but I do want to acknowledge that Siddhartha Dlaka is not going to be here next week. He is going off to the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and I want to start just real quickly by acknowledging Siddhartha and saying a huge thank you to Siddhartha for joining me for these last six episodes. I've had a lot of fun talking about Barry, Mrs. Davis, Dead Ringers with Siddhartha. Um, and also just like experimenting with This Week in Streaming as a format uh, you know, we have a pretty specific format with like topics, overall thoughts, and so on. And Siddharth is just game for everything, uh, very professional and uh, very thoughtful and insightful. And I just wanted to say thank you for for trying this out with me, Siddharth. And uh, we really appreciate it. And we wish you the best as you go to, con to uh, the Cannes Film Festival to cover it. Um, so thank you. And also, Siddharth, why don't you tell people where they can find more of your work uh, uh, from the Cannes Film Festival? Sure. First of all, uh, it's always always a pleasure to talk to you about this stuff. Um, so I really appreciate it. Really appreciate what you're doing with the show. And um, yeah, out of can, you can find my work at, let's see, IndieWire, TruthDig, JoySauce, Inverse, and IGN. So a whole bunch of places. Wow. And I'm sure, and I'm sure at some point, you know, I'll be back here on the podcast too. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, we have uh, Dank Vossen stepping in next week to join us for Mrs. Davis and uh, I think there'll be other guests in the future, but I think I consider Siddharth part of the Decoding TV family, and so uh, we'll be glad to have him back in the future. But uh, kicking this off was quite a feat, and I always appreciate Siddharth taking my phone calls as I pitch him these wild ideas like, hey, I need you to watch 15 hours of television in the next you know, <laughs> uh, in the next month. So thank you to Siddharth. Be sure to follow his work. He is, in my opinion, one of the best writers on TV oh. and film on the internet. And, uh, and we're really lucky to have him here on Decoding TV and This Week in Streaming. Okay, so Siddharth Adlaka, what we're going to do today on the podcast, we have watched the entirety of Dead Ringers, uh, season one on Prime Video. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I don't think there's going to be season two. <laughs> I think it's going to be a one-season show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We have also watched the David Cronenberg movie, Dead Ringers. And so we're going to talk about the season of the show, like as though you haven't seen the movie. And then we're going to talk about the movie and make some comparisons. So that is what is in store. But before we talk about what happens in the show, let's just give a one sentence overall summary. Do you think people should watch Dead Ringers or in the case of This Week in Streaming, finish watching Dead Ringers season one? Sadly, no. Whoa! I know. I started out much more positive. But um, alas. Oh, man. Siddhanth, I love this show. I thought, it oh. was, I thought it was great. I had a great time with it. And yeah, it has some problems. Like there's some subplots that are so poorly done that it, it's just, it's almost laughable. Mm-hmm. But the direction is so strong. Rachel Weiss is so good. Uh, and there are just so many amazing, haunting, chilling moments that I forgive the show its missteps. So I am okay. sorry you didn't love it, but uh, I I did, and I would recommend it. So long as you have a stomach for it, you know. Yeah, so and, long as, and I'm glad it, you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is some pretty graphic stuff in the show, mm-hmm. so uh, just be aware of that. All right, let's talk about what happens. In the remaining episodes of the show, we talked about the first two episodes last time. I'm going to list off some of the things that occur in episodes three through six. After the Mantle Twins convince Rebecca Parker to invest in them, they open their first birthing center, dubbed the Mantle Parker Center, where everything goes mostly well, except for a protester covering Beverly with blood. As Beverly's relationship with Genevieve blossoms and they begin discussing children, they organize a weekend away. But the separation anxiety causes Elliot to act out and throw a destructive house party where she appears to throw an old woman off her balcony, though she's not 100% sure it actually happened. In episode four, the Mantle's parents, Linda and Alan, come to visit. We see flashbacks to Linda as a scared, imperfect mom. During their group dinners, both twins lash out. Beverly and Genevieve discuss moving in together, which makes Elliot try to sabotage their relationship, revealing to their parents that Beverly is pregnant and that she was the one who first kissed Genevieve. Elliot was the one who first kissed Genevieve. Beverly discovers that she and Genevieve are having twins, but unbeknownst to her, Elliot has also grown a pair of embryos in a lab using Beverly and Tom's DNA. Episode 5, while visiting their second center in Alabama, the twins are accompanied by a journalist working on a puff piece about them. Elliot, under the influence of drugs and alcohol, accidentally injures a patient during a C-section, pretty much tanking her career. And in episode 6, along with everyone else, Beverly separates herself, distances herself from a now-missing Elliot, and paints her in a bad light. Greta learns that the old woman's body was found in a gutter on a nearby rooftop, and Beverly eventually finds Elliot in her lab, where Beverly has Elliot deliver her babies and both kill and replace her. As Beverly has realized, she will never be happy. In a post credit scene, Elliot learns about the bereavement group that Beverly had been attending. So, that's a lot of stuff that happened in uh, episodes uh, three through six of the show. And <laughs> let's start here. Dead Ringers touches upon a variety of different topics, including the poor state of women's health care in America, the relinquishment of public responsibilities from governments to billionaires and philanthropists, and how codependent relationships can easily become toxic. But at the end of the day, what do you think the show was really about? Which theme stood out most for you? I will say that I did not think I understood what the show was about until episode six, <laughs> which is not great, you know, but I, yeah. I, the whole time I'm thinking like, what is, 
the show trying to say? And I think ultimately it does come down to this relationship between Beverly and Elliot. It's about that relationship. It's about how it's incredibly codependent, how it's incredibly toxic. And, uh, and I think to a large extent, it does a good job of, of illustrating it, but were there any themes that stood out for you or do you have an opinion on what the show is about? Saddam? I agree with you that the show touches on these topics. Um, and I think if there's one most prominent theme, it is probably the central codependent relationship, even though I, I have some thoughts on uh, the relationship between that theme and the other themes. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, the the stuff about you know women's healthcare and philanthropy and billionaires all ends up sort of background window dressing to... Um, a plot that ends up taking up a lot of room in a show that I think should and could have been more focused on that central relationship so that it didn't take you almost six hours to get a sense of what it's about. Yeah, I agree. Um, The word window dressing came to mind as well, because Mm -hmm. uh, here's the thing, but that stuff is really well done in my opinion. Like the Jennifer Ely character, like Jennifer Ely who plays Parker, I just think that is an awesome character. That is a really well-written yeah. character. Uh, extremely believable. It's like, oh, that that feels like a character who DGAF, who has tons of money, can do whatever she wants. Like that, that I imagine that that is how that character would speak and move through the world. Um, and and I thought it was really well done. I uh, so, but at the end of the day, I think you're right. Like, uh, if the show is a critique of the u.s healthcare system if the show is a critique of uh billionaire philanthropists like the sackler family it's a rather muted critique i think because Mm -hmm. those are just kind of background that's not the main thrust of what the show is trying to to talk about in my opinion yeah i think it's like it's well done it's you know it's kind of like when you're having a conversation with someone like on a podcast like this week in streaming on decoding tv and somebody says hey did you ever think about this topic and you kind of go off and kind of have a little tangent for five minutes, and then you go back to the main subject. Um, that's kind of what she felt like the show was doing with, with those other topics. It's like, hey, this is kind of interesting, and then let's go back. Let's go back to the main thing that we were talking about before. You know, that's kind of what it felt like. So, so it, you, you, it, it felt like a decoding TV episode. <laughs> it felt like a meandering podcast that that didn't go anywhere. You know, no, a meandering um, podcast between two Asian men. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's the vibe I got from Dead Ringers for sure. Siddharth, what are some topics that came to mind for you watching Dead Ringers? I think when you say that certain things are well done, I, I agree with you when it comes to some of the characters yeah. and the texture that they bring to the show. Uh, but I think the show's visual texture I found to be incredibly dull. And I don't mean in terms of its mood. Uh, I mean, in a way where you can't really get a sense of the environment or the details, or even if you do, you can't really feel their emotional impact. Like, um, you know, taking the final episode, this climactic thing that happens where uh, Elliot, you know, performs that C-section on Beverly, and there's, you know, there's blood pouring out, and it's meant to be this, almost a symbolic cleansing in a way, but regardless of what it's meant to represent, it do- it doesn't really look like blood it's hard to tell, but it, like my TV settings are fine. Mm-hmm. I know that because everything else I watch looks okay. Uh, it's just a very 
low contrast muddy kind of show yeah that it has this look that ends up unfortunately plaguing a lot of streaming shows um i and i don't really know why that is i don't know if mm. streamers are just trying to like make sure every tv at every calibration you know can have some sense of what's happening but i actually don't I really agree I, I agree with you with everything until that last point you made about it okay. sharing the same look as other streamers uh there, there is comments, uh, commentary online about what a like Netflix show looks like these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this really fits into that category. I agree with you, though. It is low contrast, and in your words, like I can see why people would think it's muddy. I personally like the show show's look. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is appropriate to the subject matter. I think it is distinct from the visual identity of the film, uh, and I think that it relies a lot on great production design uh mm-hmm. in, in my opinion the the way the mantle center the mantle parker center looks all these old houses that they, these billionaire yeah. houses some of them modern some of them old school you know classic architecture uh but i agree it's very low contrast and the low contrast or in your words muddiness does give the proceedings a kind of sinister dread like i always felt like Something terrible is going to happen in this situation. Like, there's never, there's never a fe- feeling where I had, or never a moment where I felt like this is going to end well for everyone. You know, like I, I, I think the look contributed to that. But I actually like the look of it. I think, the, and I think the production design was very strong overall. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of great reveals in the, in the uh, show where you're like seeing a location, you're seeing it revealed, and it's like, oh yeah, like. It's it's beautifully, thoughtfully well put together. J- just like as an example, the Mantle Parker Center, where there are these like frosted, like these windows that can be like frosted for security, and you're like mm-hmm. looking into windows. There's so many moments when one of the Mantle sisters is like leaning up against a window, and you see the reflection, and it's like, do you see that there's two, you know, <laughs> there are two halves <laughs> of the same person? <laughs> Symbolism, you see, Sidon. So I I, I like I like the look of the show, but I understand why it's not for everyone. So I, I do agree with you on the production design front, for sure. I think everything that is within the world of the show is impeccably designed. Um, I just feel like the way it's presented to us, the way those details mm-hmm. are presented to us kind of results in a lack of um, textured storytelling, a lack of um, emotional impact of those details. But uh, it, it does, you know, those details themselves were little I managed to gauge you know, look nice. One thing I really appreciate about the show is that even though it tells one continuous story, it's pretty episodic. Every episode stands on its own with some of them having unique structures. For instance, I think episode four takes place over the course of one week with some flashbacks and is like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday titles on the screen. I personally think this makes for a satisfying viewing experience as each episode is kind of like a mini movie. Uh, they have different directors, you know, um, Karen Kusama directed an episode. Sean Durkin directs an episode. And they, they feel different. They have different styles sometimes. That said, how did you feel the episodic structure worked for you, Saddam? So I, when it comes to television, I like that balance of um, episodic but continuous. Obviously, it, it's a tough balance to nail. And a show like Dead Ringers, I think, ends up, I don't want to say it ends up leaning too much on the episodic, but I think because of the lack of 
an overall structure, the lack of an overall through line, uh, other than like, you know, minor hints here and there about like uh, the pregnancy or the embryos that are being grown in the lab. Apart from those, um, the things that, you know, connect the episodes are just, you know, the the themes, right? And when you don't express those themes to their fullest effect, it can, you know, create this sort of disconnect where it's like, all right, each of these things is episodic. Each of these episodes tells an individual story. But what is really connecting them beyond the fact that, all right, these two characters are here and now they're maybe slightly further along here. Um, so it, it's almost there for me in terms of, you know, finding some kind of balance. But I think it just goes back to the problem of what we discussed earlier, where um, the themes aren't fully formed or fully expressed until quite late into the show. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, speaking of late in the show, Sadan, I think you had some oh. thoughts about... Oh, uh, uh, what, what did you say? Oh, <laughs> I know speaking where this of, is going. Well, speaking of late in the show, what, what were your thoughts on... You had some thoughts to share about the final episode, right? And how important the final episode generally is. Let's just say the uh, the clip you played at the beginning. I don't know if that was intentionally chosen, but it made me grind my teeth. Um, yeah, I think for you know for any show to be successful, any show to be remembered as something of a success, it needs to get its final episode right to some degree. You know w- what right is is of course very subjective, all of that. Um, but I think this one drops the ball in a few major ways. And I think one of the biggest ones is the way it tries to create its haunting atmosphere. Because, you know, for the most part in the episode, Elliot isn't physically present, but they want her to be the sort of looming spiritual presence, almost, you know, like she's haunting Beverly. Um, But the show creates this atmosphere with constant sounds of cell phones buzzing. Like, I, I know that Beverly is like, missing or ignoring Elliot's calls. But after 40 minutes of just the sound of a cell phone going, I was ready to just throw something at my TV. (laughs) Like, again, I get what it's trying to do. Like she is this imposing presence in Beverly's life, but I'd like to be annoyed with a character, not with the show itself to the point that, I felt like, I don't know, I was going to become the Joker or something because I have legitimately never seen an episode of television that is more grating and irritating than that in a way that made me want to turn it off. Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I'm just going to put that out there. I thought it was amazing. All right, great great talking to you. I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, in episode six, for those who are listening who haven't seen the show for some reason... Um, Throughout most of the episode, uh, you hear the iPhone vibration sound of someone calling in as part of the audio bed of the episode. So, like, throughout many points throughout the episode, you hear, like, uh, kind of this cell phone ringing in the background. And it is a symbolic representation of how Elliot continues to be on Beverly's mind, despite all the stuff that has transpired between the two of them. And I thought it was amazing, you know? Um, you're, you know, Sidoff, you're probably one of those people that's like, why can't we hear people talking in Christopher Nolan movies? 
You know, no. some people. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm some the people, opposite of that. How dare you? Some people. How dare you? <laughs> some people want to push the medium of cinema and the moving image forward by experimenting with audio in different ways, and um, I don't think they should be restrained. Okay, I don't um, think so either. But <laughs> but you don't hear me going up to people and and just like yelling in their ear and going ah ah ah. It's an experiment. You get it? Ah. I have never seen it done like that before. I've never seen a, good a, TV, a TV episode or a movie where it's like throughout the whole movie you're hearing a cell phone vibrating ring. And I just thought it was like, wow, what an amazing way of putting us into the into the perspective of the main character. And also when she finally answers the call, it's like you breathe this sigh of relief. Oh, like, oh, it's it's over. And it's like this amazing cathartic moment that you wouldn't have had if they didn't do that. Do you know? I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I, I was like so blown away by mm. it. But mm. okay, mm. do you want me to keep so, doing that? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I do. Mm. I do. It would be. It would be. It would be more. <laughs> it would be more spot on uh, about this subject than your previous comments have been. Oh, um, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, well, those are, <laughs> those are a couple of specific topics we wanted to discuss regarding Dead Ringers Season 1. Uh, before we move on, I want to talk about the fact that this week's episode of This Week in Streaming on Decoding TV is brought to you by the McDonald's app. Uh, here's, here's a question, Siddhanth. You know, do you think that these people's situation could have been improved if they had free food? Because I think so. I think a free Big Mac at McDonald's, a free McChicken at McDonald's, some free fries on your way home from the Mantle Parker Center after a long day at work, that would really help lighten the mood and I think would have made things a lot better for all the characters in the show. Uh, and if you are interested, <laughs> Siddharth is, is unconvinced, but I think he's wrong, as as with the case of the cell phone. What's great about the McDonald's app is you, if you order with the app, you get points for ordering and you can redeem those points for free food. Uh, McDonald's is giving away free Big Mac, free fries, whatever else you love at McDonald's. All you have to do is order something in the app and it earns you points towards free food. Sit out the locker. Let me ask you this question. If you could have one thing for free from the McDonald's menu forever, what would it be? I'll go first. Big Macs. I'm a big fan. Uh, used to eat a Big Mac once a week. My mom used to take me to you know uh, uh, McDonald's and always loved that uh, the, like the how substantial Big Mac was, but also it's also kind of like small. It's kind of like a, it's uh, easily manageable to eat. Uh, big fan of Big Macs. Would love a, a, a lifetime supply of Big Macs through the McDonald's app. You have a favorite McDonald's dish, Sadant? I no, would order just anything, everything. Like I enjoy everything at McDonald's. Yeah, That's fine. excellent. Well, earn free food with McDonald's app. Um, would strongly suggest that the app works really, really easily. It's fun to use. And it is available at Participating McDonald's, copyright 2023 McDonald's. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. <laughs> All right, Thanks, let's, move on. let's move on. Uh, let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened in Dead Ringers. I mean, I think where I really felt the show went off the rails a little bit was the subplot with uh, their assistant slash maid slash what have you, um, mm-hmm. Greta, right? Yeah. 
where at the end you're, you're wondering like why is Greta accumulating both personal effects, uh, private media, and also DNA from the Mantle sisters? And the answer is she's using it as part of an art piece uh, in order to work out her own issues about her birth and her mother's passing, I think, um, which you find out in literally the last episode of the show. And it was at that point that I'm like, there, there's sometimes when you watch a show and you're like, okay, I think the storytelling has gotten a little bit out of control. Um, that felt like that, that was when I started seeing the seams of the show. I started seeing like, uh-huh. Oh, you're just trying to cram in a bunch of different ideas into the show and they don't all necessarily work. I mean, did the Greta thing land for you at all in any capacity? Um, initially in the first couple of episodes, it had me intrigued, but in a very like passive sense, like, Hmm, I wonder what's going on. I wonder if they're going to tell us. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I was just led to assume. Um, I don't remember if it was the show that did anything to make me think this, that part of what Greta was collecting, May have led to um, Elliot using Beverly's right, Everly's, yeah, eggs or DNA. Yeah, that's right. I I, that's... I think maybe, but also at the same time, like you could also be right that it could all just be part of like that project she was working on, which was also not not some secret thing she was doing. Apparently, it was like <laughs> just out I, in the open. I think it was somewhat secret because it's not like um, I mean, there, there's a shot at the very final episode with. Uh, 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 Genevieve and I think it's Beverly or uh, sorry Elliot walking past it. It, it. Genevieve is one of the sisters walking past it, so it's like they're they are either really don't care about their employees' artistic passions or they didn't know about it. Do you know? It was kind of my interpretation. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like if they were walking past it without really paying it much attention, yeah, wouldn't that imply that they were already like aware of it? Like they didn't it didn't pique their curiosity. Maybe they were too preoccupied. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. They they had a lot of stuff on their mind. I don't know. I think you can have various inter- interpretations of it, but yeah. Either way, it wasn't a secretive, like nefarious purpose. It was yeah. for the purpose of presenting something in public in in association with the mantles. Yeah. And I just think it's a thing that completely didn't land for me at all. Like it's just like yeah, there is not enough here for this to be a thing, unfortunately. And it, you, and it, you could yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You could remove Greta for the sh- from the entire show and not really lose anything. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, yeah, there isn't. I really enjoyed the dinner scene. I think in episode four when she's kind of they're interacting with her and it's like very stressful. Mm-hmm. Like that was a great scene, and so she. I think she added a lot to that. But in general, I think you're right about that. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of a bummer. And uh, honestly, I had a bunch of different thoughts about it. So on the one hand, I was thinking to myself, oh. Oh, these people who wrote this—they just crammed in a bunch of stuff, and they didn't care mm-hmm. if it made the much sense. But, but I also what also struck me, Siddhanth, is a show like Dead Ringers because it has one actor playing two roles. Mm-hmm. Every shot needs to be planned out. Yeah, and sometimes what can happen is, um, in a case of like the Greta storyline, maybe you get to the end of the Greta storyline, and you're like. Oh, this isn't quite working, but like you've already planned out literally every single shot in the show. You can't really change it at that point. You know, you can't change the plan at that point, maybe because uh, everything. Um, my guess is it needs to be more strict, like the way the shots are done needs to be more strict than um, in a kind of running gun type situation. And so yeah. maybe that's an example of like, 
hey, they got late into the process and they realized, hey, the Greta thing's not working, but like we can't just change course because like we mm. already have the shot and it, you know, we we need to. It all ties in together. So that's like the more charitable interpretation is like maybe uh, logistically. Uh, they couldn't improve the Greta situation because they they just didn't have the resources or the time, you know. Maybe, maybe, because um, this is a show that it, it's just a very specific kind of show. So, let's talk about the very ending, Sidanth, and then let's mm-hmm. talk about, and then I want to talk about the the movie. Um, so the ending of Dead Ringers, the TV show, Beverly decides, "Hey, I uh, I can't be happy. I'll never be happy." Um. Therefore, so I'm I'm with you so far. That makes sense. Therefore, you must kill me and replace me. <laughs> uh, wasn't sure how we landed at that as the option, mm-hmm. uh, but I am curious. So then, what happens is uh, Elliot operates on Beverly, takes her kids out uh, via C-section, cuts her own abdomen up to make it look like she has C-section to herself. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, protect, like takes Beverly's place. Now, there is a scene afterwards where Elliot is talking to uh, the Parker character, right? Yeah, and is saying, "Hey, um, oh, where is my sister? Like, is is my sister okay?" And the Parker character, Jennifer Ely, is like, "You know what? We'll take care of that later. Like, I wouldn't worry about that. I think what we're meant to understand is that Parker." knows that Elliot and Beverly has switched places and because she likes Elliot better and is going to help them help her make this the new reality. Um, which would also explain how nobody finds uh, Beverly's body at the end. I think like Parker has the reason we've seen Parker has the resources to just make something like that disappear. Uh, are you following me? Do you think everything I'm saying is right so far? Like, what do you think? For the most part, I do think that ending interaction seems to imply that, uh, Parker has some awareness and um, is on board with it as long as yeah. it benefits, you know, her business, as long as it doesn't interfere with her image. Right. You know, as long as yeah. everyone else thinks that this is Beverly and not Elliot, it's fine. Um, I don't necessarily know that her reasons are that she likes Elliot better, uh, but I, I do think we're on the same page about well, you, she, she does say that she, she does say that earlier, right? She's like, oh, she was my favorite one. Like, Elliot, it's a shame. Elliot was my favorite one, so it's like okay. I think she really did I'm, vibe yeah. with vibe with Elliot a lot more. Um, but uh, I, I do have to say, I think the the idea of Elliot replacing Beverly does come a little bit out of nowhere. And after watching Dead Ringers the movie, which I won't, we'll talk about in just a moment. But it comes even more out of nowhere after watching Dead Ringers the movie. Like Dead Ringers the yeah. movie felt like that was a good ending for that story. Yeah, and um, in this case, it was like, uh, what? What did you think of the idea of Beverly wanting Elliot to replace her, or like climb inside of her, or whatever? Like, uh, yeah, just your thoughts I, I, on that whole thing. I really had to reverse engineer it in a way. I had to mm-hmm. think, wait, okay, she's doing this, so she wants to die because she is not happy and has tried to be okay that kind of makes sense fine because she spent the whole episode you know being haunted by the idea of Elliot all right sure um to the extent that she would want to forego everything else in her life I I never really you know got that sense I was very unconvinced by most of the things that happened in the finale I I do get why 
Elliot would want to replace Beverly to kind of have everything that she has and all that. But, you know, just everything it represents symbolically is it, it, I don't want to say it feels at odds with what we've seen so far. It just doesn't feel like uh, a natural outcome of it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really strain yeah. to be like, okay, you know, she's doing this fine. I get it. Whereas uh, with the movie, like you said, you know, it, it's equally violent and destructive and in some ways, you know, abstract and symbolic what happens. Um, but it's, it's, it makes sense in the context of what we've seen in the movie with the way things are presented, uh, the dynamics that we've seen uh, and the ways the twins talk to each other and, you know, discuss their lives. Yeah. I think the show has done a good job of saying why Beverly feels incomplete without Elliot. Like that, Mm -hmm. that part makes sense. The part that is a little bit more straining of my credulity is, therefore, the solution is for Beverly to die and Elliot to replace her. Um, It's not completely out of nowhere, but it's just kind of like, I don't know that the show fully earned that as the final concept. Because it's not like, oh, Elliot is the most complete version. Throughout the whole show, it's not like the show has been saying, like, Elliot's the most complete version of me, right? Yeah. What you get a sense of is that the twins are incomplete without each other. And that's Yeah. Um that 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 comes across really well. So that does not then lead to Elliot should replace Beverly. Uh the other thing that uh, I've seen people bring up is this idea of Genevieve has already demonstrated that she can tell the difference between the twins uh early on early on in the the show. And so would Genevieve really buy that Elliot is now Beverly, you know, like, would she um, really go along with it? Which, does she know that that's happening? You know, like, do you have any opinion on whether Genevieve is aware of it? Um, I, I think we are I'm, meant to, to see, think she is not aware of it. But what do you think? Yeah, in, in a logistical sense, I'm willing to go along with it. I, I can't help but feel like we're supposed to think about this, you know, in, in a more abstract way, the way the movie presents its conclusion. Um, like this, you know, idea of... Uh, you know what? What is what is jealousy? What is envy? You know, uh, do you do you want what some person, some other person has, or do you want what they are? And you know, I, I get the idea symbolically, like where it's coming from. Uh, it's just that it doesn't build the right foundation. So I think that's then what might lead me to question. But wait a second. Who found the body? Does Genevieve know? Uh, because it it's one that doesn't sit right in my gut to begin with. Mm-hmm. So from there on out, it's like, wait, but yeah, but Genevieve can tell the difference. So, hmm. yeah, it was it was it's a weird ending. I think it's it's a little bit weird. And then like knowing what the themes of the show are, and then knowing how the movie ended, uh, it yeah. feels even weirder. So. Any other thoughts on Dead Ringers the show? Uh, if not, let's move on into a comparison between Dead Ringers the movie and Dead Ringers the show. One, I guess, tiny little, I, don't, I, I guess, Easter egg is the fact that um, Genevieve is acting in a miniseries called Rabid, mm-hmm. which appears to be based on David Cronenberg's 1977 film, Rabid. Mm, very cool. Yeah, uh, I know it had um, also you know, a, a Prime Video exclusive in the universe of the in the uh, of the show. Yeah, so some some 
meta fake marketing for itself, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one other thing I wanted to say before we move on into Dead Ringers is I really love the way that they created the mantle twins in the world of the show. Like, yeah. Um, one of my favorite scenes is Beverly and Elliot in an elevator, right? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of standing next to each other. One of them's looking to the right. And then the other one's looking straight at the camera and they're kind of talking, talking, talking. And it's very, you know, and in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, Oh, I know how they did this. They just filmed it with her on one half and then they filmed it with her on the other half. Um, and then at one point, uh, one of them reaches out and touches the other one's hand. And there's just a lot of moments like that where it's like very, very subtle where yeah, it's not showy. It's just like, Hey, here's a moment where they're both talking, talking, talking. And then one of them reaches out and touches the other. And it's like, you know, that requires. Uh, a lot of planning and foresight and thought. They can't. They can't just find that on the day. They need to have plans. Yeah. For that. And there's a lot of like moments like that where movie magic, baby. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. We're watching one person become two, and that's really well done. So, okay. Those are our thoughts on Dead Ringer season one. Despite its many issues, I still loved it. I found it an incredible cinematic experience. Um, Sinatatlaka did not. But let's yeah. talk about uh, let's talk about Dead Ringers the movie. Uh, and compare it to the show, I will say we're, we're going to spoil the movie. So like, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen the movie, we're going to spoil that now. Uh, this is a pretty solid Cronenberg movie, Sonata Laka. I mean, yeah. upsetting material, upsetting stuff, upsetting gadgets. Um, but, <laughs> but I think the movie is a lot simpler. There's no billionaire investor. There's no assistant who's making her art exhibit. It's just... This is really about the two halves, like these two twins feeling like each one is incomplete with the other. And David Cronenberg used this words, these words to describe the Mantle Twins uh, that I really like. I've been thinking about it ever since I read about it. He described Dead Ringers as about the unrequited life. And mm. I thought that was just a really interesting way of talking about it because that's what the movie's about. And I think it, it really lands that point well. What do you think, Siddhartha Blaka? Yeah, I agree with that. And and just really quick for um, the listeners who may have seen the show but not the movie, uh, Jeremy Irons plays characters named Beverly and Elliot Mantle. So those are things that have yeah. carried over fairly directly. It took me back uh, to a day when, when there was a time when Beverly was a male name. And now it's like not – you don't see many men named Beverly these days. So – yeah, and they do acknowledge also in the movie that they see they both appear to have what are at the time considered feminine names. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but but sorry, oh, one, of, your, one other thing. Your... One other thing, Sadanth, is yeah. also that the story of Dead Ringers was based off of an actual true story. So, mm-hmm. uh, in, in there, there is a true story of uh, these twins, um, like. Uh, like in the New York Times, tw- mm-hmm. twin doctors named Cyril and Stuart Marcus uh, were found dead in their apartment. Uh, this is in a March 1976 issue of Esquire, right? Mm-hmm. And no one knows cause of death to this day. Like it was a medical mystery. Why? Why were these twins in the apartment together? Why did they die? You know, it. Uh, no one could make heads or tails of it, and so they wrote a book about it called uh, Barry Wood and Jack Geesland wrote a book about it called Twins. It was made into this movie Dead Ringers that was eventually made into a show called Dead Ringers. Mm-hmm. Now, watching the movie, Siddhartha, and seeing the ending, I was like, wow, this makes so much more sense. Like, 
thematically, this all ties in together so much better than the than the show, in my opinion. Like, um, yeah. like these people are incomplete, and it's like, and they can't be made complete without each other, and so they descend into madness, and then they die. Like that's that makes a lot of sense thematically, as opposed to one of them replaces the other. It didn't. It, it, if the point is that they're incomplete without each other, the ending of the show didn't really tie together for me. Anyway. How, what did you think of the thematic nature of Dead Ringers? And it sounds—it seems like you liked the movie more than the show, right? I really did. Uh, I think you know, first of all, uh, just the the parable of the the Siamese or conjoined twins, Chang and Ang. Uh, I think that it you know they they bring up you know those those historical figures quite a lot, and without being direct about it, it's. It it does stand in for the way that they you know feel about each other. The fact that they are, you know, so to speak, joined at the hip, and um, you know, it is absolutely bad for them. It is toxic, obviously, but separating them would kill them. And um, I think it it becomes a sort of paradox where you know they can't live with each other, can't live with each without each other. Whereas in the show, I think another reason the conclusion doesn't feel right is because we have seen time and time again, up until the final episode that yeah, Beverly is better off without Elliot. And so this voice at the back of her head with the buzzing cell phone and the baby sister, baby sister, baby sister, that doesn't feel like a natural outgrowth of the five episodes that we've seen before. Right. Whereas in dead ringers, the movie, they're kind of equally toxic and terrible. Right, <laughs> in some yeah. ways, yeah, or equally self-destructive in in the movie, yeah, um, and, and yeah. So, I think, so, yeah, go ahead. I think also the movie, you know, aesthetically nails what the show is trying to do. Uh, it does it a lot better because, first of all, you can see all the details. <laughs> Second, it, it gives you this very gray and sort of sterile, you know, no pun intended. They are fertility doctors. Um, the sort of sterile feel where then the you know the colors will then like pop out like every time you see a bit of red it's like all right that is something deeply symbolic that is something disturbing it's something that catches your attention whether it's blood or something in the design whereas in the show red black brown they all just kind of look very similar to each other um mm. but yeah in the movie i also appreciate that the distinction between the twins isn't as clear. You know, after a while, you catch on in the movie, right? That, okay, this one is Beverly, this one is Elliot. You know, maybe a slight difference in the hair, slight difference in the behavior. After a while, I found what Rachel Weisz was doing on the show to be like, all right, she's, you know, as Elliot, she's so over the top and, you know, acts out so much that it, it felt after a while that it wasn't, a real person, but a performer trying to differentiate two characters. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Mm, I don't agree with you about that part. But one of the things Just I like... Just in specific moments. I think her performance overall is great. But in specific moments where she is acting out and being obnoxious, it starts to stray into a realm of, you know, a realm that I can't necessarily... I, I never felt that way because the show does something very smart, which is... It has Beverly have one hairstyle and Elliot have another hairstyle. And in general, yeah. you can easily tell them apart, whereas that's not the case in the movie. Now, you could argue that is by design in the movie. And I think yeah. this is an interesting detail that like 
originally there, Jeremy Irons was going to have two separate changing like they wear different clothes. So he's going to have one changing room for Elliot and one changing room for Beverly. And Jeremy Irons decided he wasn't going to do that because mm-hmm. you're supposed to each of the twins is supposed to take on characteristics of each other throughout yeah. the movie. And you are supposed to fi- have difficulty telling them apart by the end. Again, another thing that I think the movie does well that is not really carried out in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I think the movie does a good job of just kind of landing this basic idea. Um, I do want to also call out something that my wife shared with me, which is that one of the f- experiences that women have in the American healthcare system is going to a doctor, uh, not not just women, but w- uh, many times women have, and probably at pr- proportions or at frequencies uh, at a much higher rate than men, is the experience of going to a doctor and leaving with the impression that there's something wrong with your body, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not like, uh, you know, there is an affliction, but it's like something, you're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with your body. Um, right. Being ignored when describing how like, um, describing symptoms and so on and so forth. And this is an experience my wife has had. And I think that this is a movie that, aside from being extremely upsetting when it comes to the gynecological instruments for mutant women, mm-hmm. uh, kind of carries forth that idea where like, there's this yeah. horrifying scene where I think it's Beverly at that point is examining a woman and is saying like, so there's something wrong. Like you're not using yeah. the instruments, right? You know? And it's, it's like a very like, uh, upsetting but you know uh, incisive commentary on uh the medical system and how it treats women and and in that regard i would say both the show and the movie do i think a relatively good job of landing that metaphor slash critique um mm-hmm. so uh, i wanted to acknowledge that but anyway that's a good point yeah yeah um any other thoughts about dead ringers the movie um i i mean i i was very impressed by the uh by the way they did the twins uh you know motion control cameras uh there's a couple moments that are kind of silly like there's a moment when i think it's during a dream sequence you find that beverly and elliot are attached by some kind of placental organ between the two of them and it's uh very clearly a double for jeremy irons is one of the twins you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but in general i thought the way they did the illusion of having one person play two people was very convincing do you agree sanatataka for sure uh because again obviously the technology was different from what it is now it was a little harder to execute in the 1980s than it would be in 2023 uh but i think you know i think for the most part it was again it was seamless even when you know the camera's moving because that's that's a much harder thing to execute yeah. than like we like we discussed like than a locked off shot yeah. it's much harder to execute because you have to be very precise but at the same time it has to feel spontaneous when it comes to the yeah. performances when it comes to the interplay between the two versions of yourself and i think um speaking of which i think that's something that the movie something that the movie pulls off better than the show is the feeling that you know, yes, even though these are twin characters, in a spiritual sense, this story is about the parts of yourself that are at war with each other. The These warring instincts to be perhaps cruel and kind, perhaps to, you know, take advantage of someone or to love them. And I think by 
separating the mantles as much as the show does by giving them, giving them such separate lives even though Elliot has the desire to you know whether it's be with Beverly or be more involved in her life i think by separating them as much as it does in the plot you you don't always get the feeling that they are as entwined as the Jeremy Irons version which you know always ends up not just you know working better i think uh, on an artistic level, you know, in an abstract sense, but also literally because it's about a toxic codependent relationship. Um, I think that's just another reason that the ending in the movie works as well as it does. Because, yeah, the the only way out for these twins is to, you know, separate themselves in a very physical way, perform this procedure the way you would separate conjoined twins or Siamese twins. And that's, you know, symbolically that's what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas I don't know in, in the, um, I'm wondering if, if the Rachel Weiss versions are too different from each other for this to work in the same abstract way as the mm-hmm. movie does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in the movie, one of the things I thought was really interesting was, the idea of one of the characters going on withdrawal and then like, I think it's Elliot. That's like, I need to be in sync with my twin. I'm, yeah. I need to take the exact pills, the exact same pills <laughs> as my twin is taking. So like my body chemistry is the same. And that yeah. was a really interesting idea of like, um, to, to try to, that they needed so desperately to be in sync and, um, not an idea that I think fully lands in the show uh, as well. But yeah. The, and the, 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 Sorry, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm wondering, as an extension of that, like, I, I know the show wants to touch on certain aspects of, you know, women's healthcare and the American healthcare system. But I wonder if, first of all, you know, in making them uh, experts in birthing rather than fertility, specifically just, you know, fertility. Yeah. I wonder if the show makes them too virtuous in their work. And whereas the the I, Jeremy Irons versions... um there's you get more of a sense that what they're doing you know other than the fact that they are good at it has to do with control and i don't know it, it it's something that maybe this is just my expectation like mm. you know i was hoping for something similar and you know didn't come about um but yeah i'm i'm wondering if like there's more of an opportunity even within the new premise in the amazon version to I don't know, present a slightly more fucked up dynamic than they did other than just they're trying to make the world better. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I think what's... Watching the movie really does reveal the weaknesses of the show because because it's like, oh, this was the baseline that they operated at. And then you think Mm -hmm. of all all the stuff they added into the show. Okay, think of all the stuff they added into the show. So it's like, okay, what you said... Which is that it's more virtuous. It's they're, they're doing a birthing center. That is great. That I, I actually think that is the one great change. You know, um, telling mm. this from a female perspective, I think that is a worthwhile endeavor. And so mm. they had women be the mantle twins. They had to be a birthing center. I, I agree with you about the virtuousness and like the moral uh, changes that that entails. But like mm-hmm. largely, I think that is like if you're going to update it, that's a good way to update it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, billionaires need to fund this new center that they're trying to open. Okay, so then you have this like commentary on the rich. There is this journalist who is uh, writing a story about them. Uh, oh and yeah, it's like 
you, you know, and he's like trying to uh, navigate his own career while doing that and, and seeing how much he's under the thumb of this billionaire. Um, there is a d- detour into race and the history of gynecological science and how it was uh, done on, you know, how experiments were done on black women that were like, um, that helped to build the foundation of the science we have today. And um, there is this woman that works for them who collects their DNA material. And it's like, these are all the things that were added on to, that were not in the movie at all that were added on. And none of them really amount to all that much. I have to say like, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not bad. You know, I didn't have a bad time. I didn't think there was like, we're completely a waste of time, but, but it's not like any of those plots that I just said really paid off in a huge satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked every single actor and I liked like moments from those plots. Um, and so I still think it's worth checking out. It could have been like poorly done versions of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie, I think, is really simple and clean, ironically, by comparison. And that's why I think it's it's really effective. So Yeah, it's yeah. it's streamlined in comparison. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. Any other thoughts, Sinatha Laka, on Dead Ringers the movie or Dead Ringers the show? Uh go Cronenberg, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, I do want to let people know that if you enjoy this podcast, you can find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of this week in streaming and the podcast in general. Uh, and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at decodingtv. We're posting new videos all the time. Uh, and we are going to talk about our favorite quotes from Dead Ringers. Before we do that, though, I want to ask Siddhartha Laka where we can find more of your work until we see you again here on Decoding TV. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at at Siddhant Adlaka. And um, like I said, at Can, I'll be covering stuff for IndieWire, TruthDig, JoySauce, Inverse, and IGN. So a whole bunch of different places, which will all eventually end up on my Twitter. I want to acknowledge that next week on This Week in Streaming, we are going to be covering Mrs. Davis. We're going to be wrapping up season one. Dan Gavazin is going to be here. That episode will come out a little bit later in the week because I think the final episode of season one of Miss Davis airs next Thursday. So we'll be coming out on Thursday or Friday of next week. Um, but you can look forward to that and as well as announcements about what else we'll be covering. We'll be doing Barry in a couple weeks uh, and maybe more things in the future like that. Let us know what you want us to cover at decodingtv at gmail.com. Okay. Sadatad Laka, your uh, favorite quote from this batch of episodes of Dead Ringers? At the very end, when um, Genevieve bursts in and says, Beverly, to Elliot, who just appears to have given birth, because one, it means, you know, the the switcheroo has worked, the ruse has worked. Two, it was the last line of the show and I was free. <laughs> it was a really, it's a really effective moment because it kind of smash cuts to black, if I recall correctly. It's like, yeah. she says her name and you expect the scene to continue and then boop, you're in the credits. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really well done. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry you didn't like the show, Siddharth, uh, but I appreciate you wa- watching it and chatting about it with me. So, I, I like you. It's fine. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is from the journalist uh, in the show who is writing a profile. Uh, he plays Silas Jordan, great journalist name. And he says at one point, people matter. They aren't just matter for Elliot's experiments. Uh, which is a nice turn of phrase and also yeah. a reaffirmation that uh, Elliot must be stopped at all costs. So, mm, all right. Mm-hmm. 
that's this week in streaming here on Decoding TV. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Siddhanth for joining me for the first six episodes of This Week in Streaming. We're wishing him best as he heads off the can. And we'll see you, you. you here again soon, Siddhanth. And listeners, we'll see you here again next week. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 